Okay, so to start off this episode, we are not going into an in-depth analysis on this news, but I want to point out the fact that the Blue Jays just made a major, major, major signing. Legendary infielder Richard Urania is back with the team on a minor league deal. He's a legend. He's back with the team, and that's all I wanted to say. All right. This is On The Rise Podcast, Season 2. Listen now on all major platforms as well as midtownradio.ca weekends at 10 a.m. Welcome your host, Sam Donzik and Evan Brown. Welcome to episode 39 of On The Rise Podcast. It's out of the oven. The NBA season is just a few days away, and we wanted to give our predictions for opening night of the season with the two headline matchups that everybody is talking about, starting off with the undercard to the real main event here, Uh, starting off with the Golden State Warriors versus the Brooklyn Nets. Sam, you give your takes first. Who wins in this one, and who who are your kind of key players to watch as this game goes on? This is an interesting matchup because, obviously, Kevin Durant, uh, I don't know where they're playing, if they're playing in Brooklyn or if they're going to be playing in uh, Golden State, but if they are playing in Golden State, then it's probably it's Kevin Durant's return to – They are playing in Brooklyn. (laughs) <laughs> Playing in Brooklyn. Okay, never mind. Disregard that point. Um. Anyways, uh. But again, it's it's uh. It's Kevin Durant facing his former team, facing his former teammates. So there's probably going to be some pregame, you know, pre a little bit of pregame love. Um. I would say probably between the teammates. I don't know with the whole COVID thing if they're going to be like hugging or not, but they might. They maybe maybe or not. But um, I think the big yeah, like the big players to watch, I would say, would be Steph, uh, KD, Kai, like Steph on the Gold State Warriors, um, uh, Kelly Oubre. Uh, Andrew Wiggins, probably like the top players. And then on the Nets, you got how well can really, how well can the Nets come together and really uh, have that chemistry between Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant? Because uh, like, I just was watching a highlight and it was like Kevin Durant's first point. And it was a highlight where Kyrie was on the top of the, was at the top of the key. Kevin was to the left of him and he wanted the ball and it went to Kyrie and went to KD. So I think there's going to be some animosity there, like possibly early on where Kyrie's going to want the ball and it's going to go to KD because it's like, okay, maybe his teammates like KD better than Kyrie. Like, like that's what I'm saying. Kyrie, if he wants the ball, he has to be liked by his teammates. I think he like, he has to be like, he's not like, he's a likable person. I think people can like him, but he's going to, so I'd say those are my players, uh, players to watch, but don't forget about Spencer Dinwiddie and Karis LeVert on the Brooklyn Nets. Those are two guys that are definitely going to be key players uh, that are definitely going to step up. Um, yeah. I would say in regards to who's win, who wins, who will win the game. I want to say, I'm going to go with, the, I'm going to go, I'm going to say with the Golden State Warriors. I think Steph Curry is going to, Steph Curry is going to come back. He's going to have a big game. I think Andrew Wiggins is going to have a big game. I think, uh, well, they're all going to have big games, but I think those two are going to have big games. And I think that they're just going to take it over um, Katie and Kyrie. What are your thoughts? Who do you think is going to win? Yeah, I'm going to agree with you on that one. I am going to go Warriors as well. But um, for my ones to watch, instead of just kind of naming all the best players like you did, uh, I am going to specifically single out two players that I would, uh, I am certainly highlighting. One is uh, Steph Curry coming back off of injury last season. We have been missing him. He came back. Now he has dreads. Now he's looking – or not dreads, cornrows. Uh, and now he's looking back to his old self. So I'm really interested to see. He's obviously been missing basketball for a while. I think he's really hyped to get back on the court, and I think he's going to have a really good game in his return. And I think, obviously, I, I, I like Andrew Wiggins. I think that's going to be a, a key player to watch as well on the, on the, other, uh, or on the Warriors as well. But obviously, got to give uh, Kevin Durant uh, a highlight as well. 
just hasn't played basketball in a year, playing with a new team, playing as his former team in his first game back. Like it's just going to be important for him, I think, to get his feet under him. And I don't expect him to have a ridiculously great game just because it is first game back. It's first game in over a year. Yes, he has been doing a lot of training, but as soon as you get into that game, man, it's an entirely different feeling. So I think that's going to be interesting to see. I am also going to take the orders. Uh, like I said, I think, uh, it's going to take a bit for the Kyrie KD uh, chemistry to get going. And I think Steph is really just going to take it, take it to the nets in this one. Now he obviously doesn't have his spl- other splash brother in Clay Thompson, but now he has more motivation in Kelly Oubre Jr. And a, 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 another player I'm going to say that is going to be one to watch in this one, because I think he has a potential for a really good game. I'm going to say James Wiseman. I don't know how many minutes he's going to get, uh, I presume he's going to be coming off the bench unless uh, I, who could it be starting Willie Cauley Stein? Maybe I don't know the Warriors centers that well, but regardless uh, I think the amount of minutes he gets is going to be interesting because really, when you look at the nets, I mean, he's going to be going up against Deandre Jordan, potentially a bit of Kevin Durant in there, depending on where they want to play KD uh, potentially Jared Allen. He has a bit of a tougher matchup uh, against him, but uh, if he's going up against the young Jared Allen, that is going to be an interesting matchup for sure, because that is really two future centers for a lot of teams uh, uh, in that battle. And then him against the veteran DeAndre Jordan, that's going to be interesting as well, because Wiseman, Wiseman isn't as big as DeAndre Jordan. DeAndre Jordan is a very physical, athletic player, and I think it'll be tough for Wiseman to get going inside because of the presence of DeAndre Jordan um, on either side of the ball. But I think he's going to be one to watch in this one for sure, um, just because of, obviously, his debut. Who knows how many minutes he's going to get, but it's going to be in a big-time game, and it's going to be uh, important for him to get his first buckets and get his feet under him right away so this Warriors team has a center for the future. All righty, the second matchup of the night, the real main event that everybody is hyped for, the Battle of L.A. There is so much drama surrounding this. Technically, I believe the Lakers are the home team in this one. Um, And the real highlight, I think, is not only, obviously, Battle of L.A., the rivalry is already stationed there. It's already LeBron, Kawhi, Paul George, Anthony Davis, so many stars. But I think the real underlying storyline here is Montrezl Harrell. That is going to be a really interesting thing. Obviously, him and this number kind of going going uh, behind his teammates back uh, with the Clippers, signing with the Los Angeles Lakers in the offseason when nobody really expected it. Not a lot of Clippers players were too happy about that. We could see some fireworks in this one. Uh, that would be quite interesting in the main event here. Uh, now, Sam, you go first. Who is winning this Battle of L.A., and who are your players to watch other than Montrezl Harrell, who will watch to be either punched, kicked, or Draymond uh, <laughs> um, uh, Green at some point? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I feel like definitely they're going to be – it's going to be after the game in the parking lot. They're just going to come together. It's like the whole Lakers squad. They're just going to gang up on him. It's going to be well, – Draymond Green could just kick him. That that also yeah. could be an option. He is known <laughs> That's for true. that. Um, in, the, in regards to the Battle of L.A., it's – tough because you know both teams have added key pieces and also lost like players as well but I think that I'm gonna take LA I'm gonna take the defending champs I think that they're the the better team in the two over based on moves they made in the offseason they um, they picked up Montrez Harrell they picked up uh, Marcus Sull they picked up Dennis Schroeder the yeah so that they picked up some really good this season what I was just gonna say, you said I'm gonna take LA in this one. 
sorry, the LA Lakers, <laughs> the LA Lakers. That's the, that's the LA. That's the LA. I'm just gonna take the city of LA to actually. The city of LA is winning in this one because it's gonna be a big game. But, uh, yeah, no, um, the, 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 I'm just gonna to cover all bases. You know, the Lakers are winning this one. They're the better team of the two LA teams in LA uh, between the Lakers and the Clippers. I just don't see the Clippers being like they're gonna be a good team this season. But again, it's the chemistry thing as well with Montrose Harrell leaving. Maybe that can get them to you know, come together and, uh, you know, just like, maybe like, maybe I think they're going to use that as a, a thing. Like, Hey, listen, like we need to like, you know, we need to smarten up. We need to build chemistry if we want to have success because so much team, like so many successful teams. And the reason why they're successful is because they are able to, they have chemistry. They know where players are going to be when they pass the ball. They know a certain uh, type of like cut that a player is going to make. They just, that's what, that's what chemistry is. It's knowing, okay, he likes to take shots in the corner. I'm going to pass the ball every time to him or like here and there. Like you, you just know their, the players, um, ins and outs. And they're like, I guess they're just their, their quirks and stuff, their tendencies. Yeah. So, um, players to watch, I would say, I think I want to say, yeah, LeBron versus Kawhi, obviously Anthony Davis versus, well, yeah. And then Anthony Davis and Paul George are going to be two, like, you know, it's going to be like the, the top four best players. But I really want to see how Dennis Schroeder and Marcus Saul will do on their new teams. Yeah. Yeah. I really I want to see um, how, like, and Harrell's well, yeah, we talked about, but I really want to see if Dennis Schroeder can be a little bit better than a Danny Green. Um, and as well, don't look out for, I forget what his name is. He, he's got a long name. I think Tucker. T- Gordon Taylor Tucker, Gordon yeah. Tucker. Taylor Gordon Tucker. Man dropped 33 points in the preseason, so that's going to be a player to watch. I don't know how many minutes he's going to get, but I think that he could be a guy that could that could really provide a big spark off the bench. So Now, I mean, if you combine him with Alex Caruso, that is a legendary lineup. Like, it's a legendary oh lineup, God. man. That's, that's like that's – oh. <laughs> oh, yeah. Do they still have JaVale? Uh, no, I think JaVale walked. JaVale, JaVale's with uh, – JaVale did walk. Yeah, Javel did. Yeah, they lost. They lost Javel. Do you imagine with that lineup, Caruso, Horton Tucker, and Javel, just the ultimate meme lineup? Oh my <laughs> that's god, that's the that biggest. Yeah, that's the biggest meme lineup. So no, I think I think yeah, this Lakers team is really good. They're gonna still be contenders in the Western Conference. Um, it's scary because it's like you know a couple of years ago when LeBron James went to LA like to the lakers um just to clarify um you know his team like his team was great and then he got injured and then it was, when the season went down but once he got anthony davis things turned around and that anthony davis signing may has made a huge difference and it's just the city of la they're a great team so but i'm taking yeah the lakers to win who, who, do, who do you have I'm al- i am also going to take the lakers in this one i think it's the obvious choice I, I i mean the clippers could come out and surprise them early i would be fine with that as well um, I agree with your picks, obviously outside of the top four. I want to see how, I mean, I want to see specifically of the top four. I want to see how Paul George plays uh, coming into this season, but I want to see how Schroeder plays. I want to see how, t- uh, Horton Tucker does. I want to see how Gasol does. Um, but on the other side of the ball, I want to see how, um, not only the, do the Clippers without Montrezl Harrell work, but also the Clippers with Serge Ibaka now working. I think that's going to be an interesting thing. And I mean, Hey, we have a very interesting storyline here of two Raptors versus one former Raptor in Kawhi and Ibaka versus Gasol. I think that's the real storyline here. Forget all this Montrezl Harrell crap. It's really about the former Raptors because that's all I care about. Uh, (laughs) I'm just kidding, obviously. But overall, I think uh, once to watch for sure. 
is going to be uh, Abaka on the other side. Uh, uh, on, and I think Pat Bev also is going to be one to watch. Lou Will, obviously, coming off the bench is going to be huge. Um, my only question to you, Sam, before we get on to the next segment, as far as the Lakers are concerned, what do you think their starting lineup looks like? Because I think what it might be, it would be interesting if it was this, because I think they re-signed Avery Bradley in the offseason. Did they re-sign Avery Bradley or Contamius Caldwell-Pope? I can't remember which one of the two. They, they, but... they re-signed KCP. So Casey, I think the starting lineup was, like I saw, it was like KCP, um, someone else, I don't know their shooting guard is, maybe Avery Bradley. It was KCP, Avery Bradley, LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and uh, Marcus Gasol, I think. That would, that would be my say. starting lineup. That would, I, I think, think that would be my starting lineup. Yeah, because they lost, they lost Javale. No, they lost Javale, but they still have. Or did they lose? They I can't Dwight? remember. I think they still have Dwight Howard. Let me, let me just, let me quick check here. See, if they don't have Dwight and they don't have Javale, I think I don't think they have Dwight. I don't think they have Dwight. Um, see, to me, I think you start Schroeder. I think you go Schroeder, KCP, LeBron. A.D. Gasol. You could also do Kuzma and Davis. Uh, I think you want. I think you give Gasol the start off at the start of the season, though, because that's when he's freshest. So you want to get him going through uh, through the start of the so, season. So yeah. Point. So they get they got their guards are Caldwell Pope, Caruso, Cook, Orton Tucker, Matthews, and Schroeder. But Caldwell Pope and Schroeder are both a game to game time decision with Caldwell Pope as a hip and Schroeder as an angle. But in regards to they're like starting lineup. Oh, yeah. Those are their guards. So they got Caldwell actually. Pope and Schroeder. Um, forwards, they, yeah, Davis, Harrell, LeBron James, Kyle. They still have oh, I forgot Harrell. Well, they, they only have they only have one center though. They don't. They yeah. They don't have. Yeah, one they only center. have one center. Yeah, one true center. Yeah. But Gasol is the center. Harrell can play the center. LeBron yeah. can play the center if necessary. AD has played center. AD could like, play. AD could play center. So they have they have multiple yeah. options. But if you were to do like a natural starting five. Um, yeah, I would say, I think I would probably start. Yeah, I would start, I would do Schroeder's. They got Wesley Matthews as well. I can't forget about that. So I do, yeah, I would do Schroeder, Schroeder. Actually, no, I would do Schroeder, Matthews, Schroeder, Matthews, Davis, LeBron. And then, uh, I would do Gasol, Harold coming off the bench. And then the second line would be, second line would be Caldo Pope Caruso or, Caldwell Pope, or hmm, that's actually interesting. Actually, you could do. Yeah, you See, could do if Caldwell I'm the Pope Lakers, if I'm the Lakers, you know what I do? I go ultimate big lineup. I think you go LeBron at point, Schroeder at the two, uh, then you go uh, Davis, Harrell, Gasol. Davis, Harrell, Gasol is what I was thinking. Or that, yeah, you that's could your biggest do, lineup. Yeah. Or you could do Kuzma at the small. And then Harold at the power forward, AD at center. That could also yeah, work. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, there's yeah, yeah there's multiple there's multiple different lineups that you could go with to see what the best best success is that you have and stuff. Yeah. But I think the Lakers have multiple options because they do have they, they their starting five could literally be KCP, Dennis Schroeder, LeBron, AD, Gasol slash um, Harold or AD or like AD slash Gasol and then Harold in at power uh, power forward. They could even do LeBron's they could even do Schroeder Caruso. I bet you. Yeah, there's like, there's so many there's so many yeah there's so many different combinations that you can come up with as well for but I think they're going to be definitely a scary team to watch because they've got a solid oh, yeah. bench like they've got a good starting oh, yeah. five oh, yeah. and they've got a solid bench so um I think they're probably going to be pushing they could probably even push for like I'd say they could maybe push for like 58 60 wins we could see it we if could they have a really good we season. Could really could yeah 
Anyways, that wraps up this segment of Hot Out of the Oven regarding the NBA season coming up in a few days and our predictions for the two headline matchups on opening day. Moving on into our NFL Week 15 preview, one major game on the card coming up this week will be the Kansas City Chiefs versus the New Orleans Saints, who is getting a bit of a boost back into their lineup somehow, miraculously. I still don't know how, but that's why I'm not a medical professional at any point in my life, will never be. Drew Brees is back off injury, like I said, somehow, and will be in the starting lineup at QB. Sam, how do you, how if, a couple of questions here uh, for this game, obviously. How effective will Drew Brees be? Uh, c- coming into this one, coming back after injury and all that. Can Mahomes bounce back after his not-so-great performance last week? And can the Saints' defense as a whole slow down this high-flying Chiefs offense? To start with the first question, how effective Drew Brees will, how effective will Drew Brees be? It's tough to tell because I don't know how he's recovered because it's like I'm pretty sure he has fractured ribs and – he got out in like week, I forget what week it was. Like it's been like only five weeks or something. It's been like something like that, yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. Like it's like we it was like like I'm just gonna put you quick for I don't think he's gonna be hundred percent. I think he's gonna be if it's clear to see this is the problem that I have with the NFL, is that when a player maybe not be hundred percent, but you need a player in because clearly after last week, if they had won the Eagles, if they had won that game against the Eagles, they would probably still be it will maybe I don't know if they'd be starting Taysom Hill or Jason, Jason, uh, Jameis Winston because of the, the importance of this game and the weight of it, this game and stuff, considering the saints are 10 and three and the Packers are 10 and three right now. The actually the Packers have the number one seed right now in the NFC, apparently, uh, as of, as per standings. And then the saints are number two. So they're trying to maintain that number one seed to get that by so that Drew Brees can be, but let's see, let me just quick pull up when they played the 49ers. Um, because I think, let me just see. Um, but yeah, moving on to the next Richard Ryan Luke looking here. I think he's probably gonna be about 75% effective. I don't think he's gonna be full hundred percent. Um, I think he's gonna be able to make throws. I don't think he's gonna, yeah, he's, he might throw a pick. He's gonna be like about 75% effective. I think Mahomes will bounce back after his, you know, his subpar performance. I don't think he's gonna go throw three interceptions, you know, for two weeks in a row, considering how good the, the Saints defense is really good. But Patrick Mahomes is eight no versus career uh in a top versus a top five scoring defenses based on the rank engine in the game. Uh, an interesting fact as well is that Alvin Kamara has fewer than 100 scrimmage yards in, scrimmage yards in six straight games, uh, which is an interesting stat as well. That is interesting. Um, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, it's, I don't know that as well. It's just off the NFL app. But, um, yeah, it's interesting. I think, he will be, I think he will bounce back for sure. He's going to have a good game. I think he's probably going to throw multiple touchdowns. It's going to be a multiple touchdown game for both quarterbacks. And I, I, I don't know if it's going to – I don't know if the Saints can slow down I think, honestly, if the Dolphins' defense were able to slow him down and cause problems for Mahomes, I think the biggest thing is you just have to get pressure to Mahomes. If you get pressure to Mahomes, yeah, he can escape and yeah, he can throw as well. But you have to shut down. Lattimore's got to be on his game. Marshall Lattimore's got to be on his game to shut down uh, Hill and Kelsey and stuff like that. So I think that's going to be – those are going to be two big things right there if they can do that. In regards to who's winning, I'm going to take the Chiefs. The Chiefs are the best team in the NFL, no question about it. You know, yeah, they had a bad game. It wasn't the greatest game against Miami. Miami put up a dogfight as well. But the Chiefs are the better team. The Saints, yeah, they're a good team. They get Drew Brees back. But Drew Brees um, isn't that effective. And I think he's not going to be fully effective. So I'm taking the Chiefs in this one. 
To me, uh, I think as far as Drew Brees goes, um, I will. I am taking the Chiefs, just flat out putting that out there, first of all. But uh, with Drew Brees, he's going to be in an interesting situation because in my mind, there is no way he's going to be 100%. I think he's max 90 and minimum 50. I think he is somewhere in that range because there's no way he's healed that quickly and he just wants to get out there and help his team win because he knows this the Saints aren't going to stay the same dominant team that they are with Taysom Hill and or Jameis Winston uh, manning the ship at QB. But what I do think the Saints will do in this game is something we've seen seen them do every once in a while when Drew Brees is fully healthy, but I think they'll be using it more uh, in uh, in this game. I think we'll see Drew Brees switch out a lot more. I think we'll see Breeze come in for a lot of the plays, still running things like his offense would, running in uh, quick runs, quick passes, and stuff like that. But I do think as well we will see Taysom Hill come in and do either some runs by himself or just hand off run plays because I don't think they're going to have him throw. Uh, that is a very bad idea, even though he just got his first throwing touchdown, I think, last week or two weeks ago, something like that. Um, but I don't think you trust him fully with the quarterback. I think you give Drew Breeze like 75% of the game. You give uh, Taysom Hill a couple plays here and there, either running the ball himself just because QB needs some yards and you're not getting that out of uh, Drew Brees in this game. Uh, and I think as well, just to, even just handoffs or something like that gives Drew Brees a break, make sure he's conditioning properly because not only did he have broken ribs, but he also had uh, something with his lungs. And you don't know about his full conditioning getting into a game like that. Obviously, QB really doesn't have to move a lot most of the time. But still, if there's pressure there, you have to be able to uh, come across uh, come across quick and you need to bounce back right away. And I think that'll be that'll be something to watch for sure in this game. Yeah, one quick point as well. So, yeah, I pulled up. It was week 10 when he got injured. So it's now week 15. So it's been four games. If they played four games and he's back, um, they like, you know, three and one. And I think to your point as well, I think the biggest thing that Drew Brees has to worry about is getting hit, getting set. If he gets hit once or twice, that it's it's game over. Like if Cam Jordan comes in, if not not Cam Jordan, I'm saying not Cam Jordan. If um um if Jones like if Frank Clark comes in like of the the Chiefs uh like pass rush and he hits him hard once or twice, Breeze could just go out again and he could be out indefinitely. You know, like that's what he problem is. Like I yeah. feel like the Saints are rushing this, and what's gonna happen is it could happen is if if he doesn't get the proper protection, like if if he gets sacked once or twice or hits really hard. And I don't think NFL players can tension. Like, I think Drew, like the players hopefully have some type of good heart, but they're going to have to win the game. And they're going to hit the quarterback as hard as possible, as legally as possible without drawing a penalty. And if Breeze gets hurts again, hurt, if he gets hurts again, hurts again, my bad. Um, I think it's going to be damaging to the Saints going on because going forward, because that pretty much takes out your playoff hopes in. Because yeah, let's say, yeah. for example, you finish like, you know, 10 and six or like 11 and five, but you still go into the playoffs and you have Drew Brees back. Like as long as you go into playoffs with a healthy Drew Brees, that's better than going 12 and four, but having Taysom Hill or Jameis Winston at your quarterback. Like, unless you get the number one, unless you get a bye week and then, you know, like, and then like, like Breeze comes back. But even then, is it worth, is it worth the risk? Like, that's what I'm saying for the Saints. Is it worth the risk to go with that? Like, what do you, do you think it's, it's, do you it's, think it's, it's not worth the risk. And no. I think especially in this game, to bring him back to this game, uh, to me, I don't think even with uh, 100% healthy Drew Brees, you have a, a definite shot of winning this game. I think the Chiefs are just that strong of a team. And you could say, okay, we do have a solid defense, but like you said, he is 8-0 in his career for his top five scoring defenses. He finds ways to win games. Mahomes is a very clutch individual. 
And I think that's why moving, uh, well, not moving on, but adding to the point of will he bounce back? I think he will bounce back because he has to. He has to, uh, and he's a big time player. He knows what he's capable of. He knows what he has to do to adjust. And he's going to be going up against the top defense and he's going to have to, um, going to have to step up. And I think, um, it'll be tough for that Saints defense to, uh, slow down the Chiefs offense because, like you said, eight, no in his career versus top five defenses, but also, um, because this Chiefs offense just adapts on the fly. Mahomes can do so many different things with the football. He has so many different weapons he can use. He has so many different techniques, so many different routes, so many different everything. Mahomes is just a really solid quarterback, and I think he is going to lead that offense uh, past any defense, even the Saints defense in this one. And I think uh, the Chiefs will definitely take this one. It'll be interesting, though, to see what Kamara can do, seeing hopefully to break out of his slump. That's a bit of a concern if I'm a Saints fan. Um, and obviously, gotta. I think you can't play Drew Brees the entire game. you got to get Taysom Hill uh, at least 25% in, uh, uh, 25% of the plays in. But we shall see. Alrighty, that wraps up our NFL Week 15 preview of the Kansas City Chiefs and Drew Brees' return with the New Orleans Saints. Moving on into our last topic of the day, we have just a sort of a general NHL segment, a little a, three different minor pieces of news going into uh, the coming weeks. Hopefully we see some more news uh, in the next little bit about the season and what it's going to look like, because now it seems like uh, might be they might be trying bubble formats at some point. They might be doing no cross border travel. Like who knows at this point? But starting off with the uh, a bit of a bit of an underrated signing in my opinion as forward Anthony Duclair, who represented himself at the start of free agency, and that kind of kind of messed with things. I think a little bit of his stock trying to get his money has signed a one year one point seven million dollar contract with the Florida Panthers, which is honestly a lot less than I think he was even thinking he was getting, but in this market where people have no money and he was very overvaluing himself as a very inconsistent player, I think that was a reasonable contract. And uh, so what do you think of this deal, Sam? Do you think it's a, a pretty decent contract? Do you think it's good for the Florida Panthers? Do you think it's good for Duclair? Who do you think, what, what, what kind of, does the player or the team win this deal in a sense? It's, it's good for Duclair because he has a team, you know, he, he needs a job next. He needs money. Like <laughs> Yep, like yep. yeah, like as well. Like if you think about it as well, NHL players are just like people. Like it's like, imagine like if you were an NHL player in a real world, it's like basically going from job to job in your like every team you play on is a different job. Like it's the same job, but it's just with a different company or team. So when you get this deal, it's nice because it's like a one year prove. Like maybe it's not even a prove it deal because it's just eases the money that he could get. And hopefully, if he has a good year this year, then maybe the Florida well, Panthers like, okay, we really like you. You know, you had a good year. This was one of your good years. We'll pay you a lot of money, but they like they have to be careful with that because then the next season he could be very inconsistent or just have a bad year, and then people are like okay, would be, like Florida's like why do we pay him all this money? Like get one good season. So I think it's gonna have to be like one or two year good prove it years for him to be like staying consistent. It's a good deal for him, you know. He gets a good deal. Like he's he's not overvaluing himself. He's not getting underpaid as well. Like one point seven million is the perfect amount for him, considering what other top what other NHL players are making. You know, he's making probably just above. I think probably just above a rookie, honestly, if, if not even less yeah. than a rookie. Um, yeah. um, I think this is a good deal for, in regards to who won, I don't know if like who won this deal. If it's like, I think Duclair kind of won this because he has a team to play for. He's yeah. playing for a decent team. Like it's not a great team, the Florida Panthers, the Florida Panthers do add as well. I don't know. Like, I don't know where, where exactly what the um, rumors were with Hoffman and Panthers. If they were like, if they were linking possibly, if there's yeah. possible links. So 
Um, but I don't know if you add Declare for only a one year, 1.7 million, you could still sign Hoffman as well for a cheap deal. So it's a possibility. I don't know exactly if it's going to happen or not, but uh, that's just my thoughts. Like it's up. Yeah. Like, it, I, I, I have a feeling it's not going to happen because they did sign Duclair. So yeah, that, that's my take on that. Yeah. I think, I think this does mean that uh, less likely Hoffman returns to Florida. The question is where he's going to go. Who knows at this point, but we even talked about this a few episodes ago, how nobody has money right now. And a lot of these free agents that are still left are, it's like musical chairs. You, there's no chairs left pretty much at this point. You just got to find somewhere and hopefully somebody saves you this tiniest sliver of a seat to just kind of chill and hang out there. And I think uh, with Duclair, I think he finally found a team that is willing to give him a half decent contract for himself. And I mean, it is going to be a prove it deal. And I think for him, it's going to be good to prove it because he gets away from the senators. He gets a chance to actually play with some pretty good players. Who knows who he's going to play with. They might throw him on a line with Hubert or something like that. I have no idea, but I think uh, if he can get, get in with the Panthers uh, and make a good, make a good impression on this team, then I think that's going to be a really good signing for Florida. Uh, if you declare, I think, was expecting probably around $4 million going into the offseason. In a normal year, I think he would get that. But I think with this one-year deal, uh, he has a decent potential, but is a very inconsistent player. Uh, as we saw last year, I think the first half he had 23 goals, and the second half he had like one or something like that uh, with the Sens, and that just doesn't add up in my mind. So I think it's a decent deal, and I think it does mean the end of Hoffman in Florida. The question is where he's going to go because he is currently – one of the one of the few top guys remaining that are still without a spot, and I don't think it's going to be a long term. I think it's going to be short term, like Duclair's, and it's probably I think for Hoffman because he is a bit more of a higher caliber player. I think it's going to be around three million for one year, but the longer he stays out there, the lower and lower that dollar amount is going to get because, and I think it has to get lower and lower because you got to accept whatever you can get before uh, the season because you want to if you're Hoffman. You want to play this season, so you that the longer you take to figure out where you're going to go, the less and less money that you are going to be making going into next season. Alrighty, our second topic of this NHL segment: Henrik Lundqvist sadly will not play this year after revealing on Twitter and social media that he has a bad heart condition that will prevent him from playing in this next uh, few seasons. Uh, so, Sam, do you think he should just retire as he is in his late 30s, uh, coming up on the end of his career? Obviously, an incredible goaltender with the Rangers for the longest time, trying to move on. Uh, well, the Rangers wanted to move on from him as he is aging, and they have pretty two young goaltenders. And also, as well, how does this affect the Washington Capitals, who I don't know if they were looking to be him uh, as a starter, but they still were looking to get a good probably 20, 20 games out of him as a backup goaltender and a really good mentor for their young core and they really don't have, I think they're only, their only starting goaltender that has NHL experience going into the season will be 23 year old Ilya Samsonov, uh, who will probably be their starting goaltender. And I mean, do you think they can maybe pick somebody up? Do you think, what, what are your thoughts? Well, to start with in regards to it, I feel bad for Henrik Lundqvist, like for to, to not be able to game the, not be able to play the game that you love in hockey because of a heart condition. It's very sad to see, very sad to hear. In regards to should he retire, I don't know. I I feel like it would be it would be the easy way out, just to be like, okay, I'm going to retire. But I think what he wants to do is he wants to recover from this in some way and come back because I think that will probably be one of the greatest comeback stories. In hockey, it's like if Henrik Lundqvist were to be come back from a heart condition, like is it is it basically preventing from playing this year or just in the future? Like, 
is it like one year thing or is it just like because I feel like if he can't play that's the thing we don't know. That's that's what we don't know right now. Because that's what I mean. Like I don't think like if if it's it's if it's like if he's able to control it by the end of like next season and hopefully he's able to play at some point, then I think that could be a possibility. It's just very hard for these top athletes to retire on a low note. Like when when uh, like I'll give you an example. Like when when Tom Brady threw that pick six against the Titans last season, he knew he couldn't retire. You know, he won six Super Bowls. You know, he was he was like, I can't retire off of that. So he wanted to come back. And I think with all low moments, all great athletes will wanna will wanna retire on top of the shining podium. Like Peyton Manning won Super Bowl fifty, and it's like, yeah, I'm done. Two Super Bowl rings, that's or that's good with me. And it's like that was a good that was a good way to go. So um, Henrik Lundqvist, I think, wanted to go out a little bit better, like in regards to his retirement. Um, I don't know if he should retire. Like, yeah, it's an easy thing to do, and. If he is able to come back from the heart condition, I think will be a tremendous story. And I think will be a great story, not just to cover, but I think it's just, it's just not even great for a story for the media to cover, but just overall as a hockey fan to, to see that and to see him co- recover. Um, how does, how this affects the capital capitals? I think it affects them greatly because you lose a great veteran goaltender who, who probably would give you 20 games um, and, you know, maybe sometime in the playoff and you really, cause as well, like it, like a backup goaltender is probably, I'd say, the most undervalued position in hockey, I think. It's, it's the yeah. most important yeah. because when your starting goaltender is playing for so long, you need that backup to give him rest, especially going the stretch down into the playoffs. Because as well, the playoffs, you know, there's a seven-game series. They can go to game seven every time. You can play up to like nothing and play 30 games as a goaltender, but you can play a lot of games as a team. You can, you got, you win 16 to win the cup, but you can also play close to 30 games or 20, yeah, 28 games. Cause there's four rounds. If you're playing like, you know, so when you think about that, it's like, they're going to play all 28 games, but they could play at least 20 and, you know, the backup goalie is there to play at least eight of them. So I think it's going to greatly affect them in the long term or in the short term and the long term as well. But I don't know how they, I think they could go and sign someone. I don't know exactly who, what uh, what goaltenders are available in the free agent market who would be able to sign for it. Like it, it could be a one-year deal, one one or two-year deal. Uh, but I think this does affect the Capitals in an, in an unfortunate negative way because they do lose a veteran goaltender like Henrik Lundqvist to teach their core and to get, you know, 18 to 20 games out of them in the regular season plus the playoffs. Yeah, I, I, I it's going to be tough. I don't think he should go out like that. I think he probably, if he can make it back, that'd be great to see next season. I agree. It would be a great comeback story. And I think as far as the Capitals go, um, they need a backup goaltender. They don't have anybody really else other than Samsonov. And I think they really, what they really need is another vet who they can trust to kind of mentor the young uh, Samsonov just to, because I think that was the point with Lundqvist. Not only was he going to be a decent, reliable backup goalie option, probably get you 15, 20 games, but also he was going to be a guy to mentor their young core and, really teach them the ways of the NHL. And I think looking at the free agent list of uh, the NHL goaltenders, goaltenders that are available, not too, too many big names. I mean, you could obviously go out and trade somebody. That is also an option. But um, I think Corey Schneider, like, eh, I don't really think you can trust Corey Schneider. Jimmy Howard, and eh, don't really think you can trust Jimmy Howard after the season he had with the Craig Anderson, eh, can't really try. Uh, Craig Anderson, I think, is the best option there. You also have Ryan Miller, who I think should have already retired, but apparently is still available. Uh, Michael Condon had some time a few years ago. Like, 
Hey, Leafs legend Garrett Sparks is out on the market. Like, yes, he's go sign, go sign Garrett Sparks. That's what you have to do as well. That, that's a big thing. Now, here's the thing: you could go the safe route, sign somebody like that, or here is my interesting thing because the NHL is very confusing because you have two different types of free agents. You have unrestricted free agents, and you have and you have restricted free agents who are just off their rookie contracts and you don't really know what's going to happen. And there is still a restricted free agent goaltender that is still available. That could be quite interesting if they who decided who, who is it? Who is, who's the goalie? The young Mackenzie Blackwood of the New Jersey Devils, who frankly last season didn't get into as many games. As I think the Devils wanted him to, and the Devils weren't that great, but he is still a very intriguing young goaltender with a lot of potential, very uh, very equal to Sam, uh, Ilya Samsonov in a sense that could be a uh, built-up potential in a, in a goaltender. And I think if you wanted to go the risky route slash just like all in, I don't know what the term best term would be here, just like the ballsiest play would just be go try and offer sheet McKenzie Blackwood because he is still technically unsigned. The Devils have not given him a contract he is still waiting for a contract he's similar to matt barzell who doesn't have a technical contract yet with the new york islanders you could sign him i don't know what the rule is for goaltenders as far as draft pick compensation compensation per million dollars or whatever but you could just say you know what we have the money we have the draft capital we're still trying to win well ovechkin is still at least playing decent as if he was still in his prime for some reason, because it's Ovechkin and he's superhuman. Um, so you could just say, you know what, we're going to try to get a young goaltender for the future. We have just our incredible young tandem of Samsonov and Blackwood at that point. That would be a really good, interesting play. And I mean, anything can happen in the NHL. I don't know if it's likely, but that could really kickstart some things because you don't see off the sheets signed too often, but that would be quite the interesting storyline if something like that were to happen. Alrighty, moving on into our last segment, or last topic of this segment, we have the legendary Alex Steen has retired after 15 NHL seasons, split between 12 years with the St. Louis Blues in the latter half of his career and his first four years with the Toronto Maple Leafs due to injury. Uh, played one th- just over a thousand games, had 622 points, won the cup with the Blues uh, two years ago, and as a former 24th overall pick by the Toronto Maple Leafs in 2002. I still regret that trade. I can't remember who it was for, but I still regret the fact that he was traded from the Leafs. I loved Alex Steen growing up, and I when I found out he was a Leaf, I was very happy because growing like growing up, I was a Leafs fan, right and he was on the Blues when uh, I think my first, I think my very first NHL game or like my very first experience just playing NHL for some reason was like 2007, 2008. And that was just as, I think that was just as he had left the, uh, left the Leafs. And for whatever reason, because he was a Leaf and I knew that, I just really liked him. I really liked him as a player and seeing him go to the Blues was a bit heartbreaking but then obviously the 12 great years with the blues um eventually leading to him finally winning the cup and it sucks that he had to go out this way some pretty nasty injuries uh injury as far as why he had to retire we won't get into too uh, too much of that but 
I'll, I'll just go first here because I know you probably don't know too much about how he will be remembered, Sam, just because you're not as big into NHL as I am. But I think to me, he'll be remembered as a very crafty center, very uh, has received a, a few Selkie nominations throughout his career, very, very just solid center. I think he only maxed out at like maybe second line, but he still was a consistent guy. You know what you were going to get out of him every year. And in his prime, he was a pretty decent little player. He was a crafty center, uh, very de- defensively sound, very uh, – wasn't like your high-flying centerman who's uh, like nowadays, like your Austin Matthews of the world where he's potting 30, 40 goals a season. But he was still a solid player, and I think um, it's the workhorses like Steen. And I think one of the ones that was with the Leafs for a, a bit a few years ago, more recent, that a lot of people would remember, uh, Ron Hainsey. Ron Hainsey is a guy you wouldn't expect to have played over a thousand games, but he was just a dedicated defenseman that while he wasn't like your highlight reel all-star defenseman every single year, he was just a consistent guy that would put in the work, just give you game in game out. He would be decent enough to play like second defensive pairing, but he was never like your all-star player. And I think that's what Steen Steen really encapsulates is a, just a solid consistent guy that was never like your all-star but was never a bad player by any sense of the word. He was just a consistent guy, 600 points in in just over a thousand games. That is a really solid career. And to have played 15 seasons, obviously finally winning the cup a few years ago with the St. Louis blues. I think that was a real, uh, a really ultimatum and a good way to go. I think honestly, he could have probably gone out that year and retired and said that would be a good career, but obviously trying to come back last year, I think he got like 55 games or something like that before uh, this season injuries kind of complicates things. And technically he's still, this is the funny thing about how the NHL works um, is the fact that he is still technically under contract with the blues. He is still, uh, still making $5 million next season. But the way the cap works, the Blues still have to pay that money, but it doesn't technically count against the cap. So he still gets $5 million for not playing next season. But because they just kind of place him on LTIR, uh, long-term injured reserve, just let him sit there for the year because he technically he's not playing. He's retired, obviously, but he, he still gets his $5 million for not playing, sitting at home, and obviously that can help cover medical expenses and stuff like that. But it's just kind of interesting how the NHL works. That technically is still making a very decent chunk of cash, despite the fact that he is not going to be playing at all or anywhere near the team probably. He probably is going to be vacationing somewhere once COVID's done and just enjoying life as a retired hockey player. And I think, yeah, he was just honestly one of my favorite players growing up for no absolute reason. Uh, kind of like Lee Stepniak for whatever reason. I always liked him as a Leaf, uh, as a Leaf growing up, who's a consistent, consistent workhorse player. Can I go now? Can I? Can I say? Yes, can I say yes, you can go now. <laughs> um, yeah, honestly, I, I don't know. I don't know. Like you, you, you basically made all the points that I was going to make, or you know, try to like similar worded as well. Um, I think that Alex Steen, yeah, like he's, he's going to be remembered as the guy that just is a hard worker. You know, he's he may not score fifty goals every season like an Alex Ovechkin or an Austin Matthews, but he's going to be a guy that's going to be able to be you know be gritty you know, get lots of assists, um, be a well, like, you know, well-rounded centerman, one of the best in the game the NHL has ever seen. And I think that's kind of the way that people, like at least how he will be remembered in my eyes, you know, seeing him and stuff. I always remember when he played with, like, he was always a tough matchup because, you know, the, with the Blackhawks playing the Blues in the playoffs, and I was always worried because he was a, just a really good player that would always cause trouble. And it's just, that's what you got to do. It's, it's, it's those players that, 
you you really enjoy watching because they're able to give your team trouble. Yeah, you may not like it, but they're just you enjoy and you respect the skill that they have and their ability. And yeah, so I, I did watch him a few seasons stuff when they played in the playoffs this between the St. Louis Blues. And he was, yeah, he was a really good pairing. I think I forget who he was on the line with. I want to say probably a young Tarasenko when he was playing, when, um, yeah, probably a young Tarasenko when they were, uh, when they were playing against the Blackhawks. But yeah, he always caused trouble for me as emotional pain <laughs> as much as possible. But uh, he, he's going to definitely be remembered in my eyes as just a great overall player, as most, you know, a lot of NHL players are who just get a lot of respect. He's just a really nice guy as well. Like, he's yeah, not like, yeah. Yeah, like I think that's a, like I think a lot of people discount. It's like NHL players are human beings. Like athletes yeah. are human beings that are just generally nice. Like he's a, he's a really nice guy, and I think that uh, he's going to be remembered as just really nice guy, a really good player. And yeah, I think for Leafs fans as well, like for remembering him on the Leafs and stuff. So what exactly? I don't, what exactly happened? Was he like where? Who got traded? for Alex, uh, Alex Steen, like, cause he was on the Leafs as well. Like you said, you got drafted by the Leafs. Yeah. I was traded. trying to remember the Leafs, what the Leafs traded for him. Um, I think it actually was Leaf Stepniak who I mentioned a few minutes ago. <laughs> yeah, that's um, actually, that's it. I feel like that would be the case. Yeah. They traded for Leaf Stepniak, Leaf Stepniak, Stepniak. Um, I think it was, um, yeah, it was, uh, the Leafs got, uh, Lee Stepniak and traded, uh, Alex Steen and, Carlo Koliakovo, who is <laughs> Don't now know who that a, is. <laughs> he's now an analyst with Sportsnet, I believe. Oh, uh, maybe Sportsnet, maybe I don't know. Yeah, but um, yeah, I mean, Lee Stepniak at the time was one of my weird favorite players because he was never very good, and he never will be ever good. I think I think he retired a few years ago. But he was another guy that was like thousand games for no apparent reason. He wasn't a top line guy at all. He was like third line pretty much on every single team. Uh, and same with Carlo Koliakovo, even like uh, who was another first round pick. Like he was never like your best defenseman. He was just decent player who did his thing. But I think one of the best things, I think just as a, a quick thing to finish this off, one of the best things I think about Steen was um, he wasn't like your big grinded out, like tough guy on, uh, out there. He was just a solid defensive. He was only six foot. He wasn't a big, big guy. He was just a guy that would work the corner, uh, work the corners if he had to. Just a solid centerman that uh, was defensively sound. I think when you think of the Selkie Trophy and defensive forwards, if he had maybe like more of an offensive touch and more of like high line minutes, and I think he would. I mean, he would be up there in the voting. I think he got a few votes every uh, every once in a while here and there, but he was never like your winner of the Selkie Award. I think he even got a few All Star votes in the prime of his career. But I think, um, yeah, I think he'll be remembered just a crafty centerman that really got the job done and was consistently a decent player. All righty, that wraps up that segment of just NHL as a whole uh, regarding a bunch of different news. Anthony Duclair, Hendrik Lundqvist, and Alexander Steen. That wraps up this episode of Season 2 of On the Rise Podcast. You should follow our Instagram at Rise Podcast. Listen in on midtownradio.ca and visit our website, ontherisepodcast.ca. We will see you on Wednesday.